Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I love that guy. Do you guys like, do you guys ever do the lawnmower? Starting the lawnmower? No? It's a tough crowd tonight. Um, hey, you guys, thanks for, thanks for being here. really appreciate you guys coming back on a Sunday afternoon. I think tonight's going to be um, really good. we got some folks here that are going to share with us. Uh, our 4 Life team has been working hard to try to bring some opportunities to the church for us to plug in and engage and be the church out in the community. Um, I get really encouraged by um, folks like this, and they're gonna, I'm not, I don't want to spoiler alert their, their stories, so I'll let them share that when they come up. But I find it so interesting that the, the Lord calls us to... Um, he says, um, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but, but what? You guys can all fill that in, right? So it's not that the Lord is silent. It's not that he's still. It's not that he is not working, right? He is working and his kingdom is advancing. He says, he says pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the harvest. So, so one of my prayers when I th- kind of think over Vail Christian Church and I pray to the Lord and, 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 and pray on behalf of the church and ask him to do stuff. As I say, Lord, start breaking our hearts for the things that break your heart. Start breaking our hearts for the things that break your heart because it can be really easy for us to just kind of not, not be informed and not know. And I don't, think the, I don't think the Lord wants any of that. I think he wants us as Christ followers to know and to be informed and to be aware. So I feel like this, this night gives us a platform to know and to be aware. And again, my prayer is that he would um, send his spirit to move across the church and fire us up to be a part of the work that he's already doing. Sean and Kay, why don't you guys um, come up and join me? So you guys met um, Sean and Kay, I think, I'm guessing all you guys were here this morning. They got to share just a little of their stories. So Sean and Kay um, Levesque, and uh, thank you guys again so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Well, that was a nice intro. It was a perfect segue. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so uh, we are very excited to be uh, one of God's workers in, in this area that we're in, and uh, we share often that uh, we feel very privileged and honored to kind of ride this wave of justice that Kay and I are seeing all across the country as organizations and people just like you learn about human trafficking, decide to rise up and do something about it. So our prayer tonight is the same as his, that you'll take this information, that God will stir something in you, what we call a holy discontent, and that uh, he will stir so much that you want to do something with the information that you have. So we'll share with you a little bit about our story and how we got on this crazy train that we're on traveling America for two years. And then we'll jump in and we'll share a few statistics to paint a picture tonight so you know how bad trafficking really is, both internationally, nationally, and then right here in the state of Arizona in Tucson as well. Um, Then we're gonna show you a short video. It's just four minutes of a survivor, um, someone who got out of the lifestyle after living in it for a while and is a huge success story. Um, And her story then will be used when we go deep um, on the next slide about how the grooming process takes place and how it can happen to absolutely anyone. And that'll be kind of the toughest part of the night to listen to. And then we'll talk about a few root causes because one of the big questions is why is this so bad? Why is human trafficking on the rise and about to be the number one criminal activity in the world? Um, We'll share with you that and then we will end with hope um, and uh, share with you some really practical ways that you can fight slavery today like I mentioned this morning if you wanted to start doing that in your own homes tonight or in the week ahead. 
And so uh, with that, I'll hand it over to Kay and let her start. So when one person is speaking, one will be sitting, because our feet kind of hurt today. <laughs> so don't mind us taking a little break while the other speaks. Yeah, besides one of us is really long-winded. <laughs> That's... No, I pointed at oh. myself. I fessed up. I fessed up. No, I'm extremely long-winded, so he's like, I'm going to take a break while you talk. No, thank you so much for having us in. Thank you for hearing our introduction this morning. If you were here, for those of you that weren't, and some of this will sound familiar, but people often want to know, how did you get started talking about human trafficking? Were you trafficked, or do you know somebody who was? Um, and just to clear the air, on both of those, the answer is no. I was never trafficked. In fact, up to seven years ago, I didn't even know human trafficking existed. Um, so I never knew anyone that was trafficked that got me started on this journey. It was just a simple documentary. That is what opened my eyes to the fact that slavery still existed. Um, I didn't know, and I was mad I didn't know, but I was more devastated by the information. I was watching this documentary going, what? I don't understand. How can that be happening? Um, how is that happening in the United States? I was completely devastated by the loss of innocence of our youth, by the depravity of man. Um, the more I learned, the more I got sad and disgusted. Um, it was actually a period of time where I was just really almost paralyzed by that information, just so devastated. Um, to think about it made me weep. All I could do is picture my daughter in situations like that. The more stories that I heard, the more every story felt like that could be my daughter, that could be my sister, that could be my friend. It became very personal. And it was hard information to take in. And there was a period of time that passed when that sorrow turned to anger. I got ticked off. I believe that that is a righteous anger. I believe that is a righteous anger put in my heart by a righteous God. The Bible says that God's throne is established on righteousness and justice. That's who he is. And so as believers, when we have the spirit of a just and righteous God living in us, then our lives will become bent on what is just and right. And he rises up righteous angers in each of us so that we will act. Um, he's a God of action, and he has action-driven, oriented love. And so that's how he commands us to be. And so tonight, while we talk about our holy discontent and, and share a bit about our story, um, we just ask that you would tune into your holy discontent because they look so different. Our world is broken. Our world is in need of a savior. And we ask the Lord to break our heart for what breaks his. And there are many different things that he ignites a righteous anger in our lives um, for, to do something about. And we're so glad they look different because if we were all fighting the same injustice, then there would be so much brokenness everywhere. So there is something in the world that God has raised in your heart. It could be poverty, homelessness, drug addiction, the broken foster care system, domestic violence, abortion. There's so many things that the spirit of a just and right God righteous God is raising up in your life. So just tune into that. And then we ask the Lord, well, what am I supposed to do? Because if we have a righteous anger about something, sometimes that righteous anger can end up turning to judgment if we're not careful. And that's not what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to be angry and judge. He wants us to be angry and love. And so it's really important that we ask the Lord, what is the righteous anger, and then what can you have me do? So I took my, my, 
my righteous, angered self to the Lord and said, what am I supposed to do about human trafficking, this massive problem? Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom, homeschooling three kids. Let me introduce you to our family. We have three amazing children on this journey with us. Connor is 15. Renee is 12. Caden just turned 10. Um, so we've got, what, two tweens and a teen, and we're living in a camper. So pray for us, people. Pray for us. But we are on an amazing journey as a family, and um, it, it's just so awesome to see how God is using our family. But I was homeschooling them, and I said, what am I supposed to do? And I just felt like the Lord said, you can speak, and you can teach. So start with that. Um, when I love the story in Exodus when Moses is called um, to lead the Israelites out of slavery, and he doesn't want to do it. I can't do that. That's huge. I don't want to do that. Send somebody else. He's having this burning bush moment. The Lord is revealing his next steps to lead the people out of slavery. And um, no, 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 no. And the Lord just says this question, what is that in your hand? And at the time, Moses was holding his staff, and, and the Lord demonstrated through the staff his power and just affirmed to Moses how he was going to be there. But I think that question is so pertinent to all of us today. What is that in your hand? Because like Sean said today, we are so uniquely gifted by God, masterpieces created for good works. God's prepared in advance for us to do, and he's given us each unique skills, unique, unique life experiences, um, different ways to engage our world. So those two things, we're going to come back to those later at the end of our topic, but just be asking the Lord, can you remind me of my holy discontent, and can you show me the tools in my hand that I can use for your glory? Because we're speakers and teachers. We're teachers by degree, um, public speakers by lots of life experience. Those are the gifts we've given, but there are a lot of things, a lot of tools that need to be used to fight all areas of social injustice. And one of them might be yours, the perfect one. So um, just tune into that. So speak and teach. If I'm going to speak and teach, I've got to get educated. That's where I started. So I began to learn, 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 read books. I began to find organizations, speak to survivors, read survivor stories, find nonprofits, plug in and volunteer to them until eventually God just kept leading us to the next step, the next step. We wanted to raise these kids kingdom-minded. We wanted to raise them to see brokenness and not judge it and not fear it, but really how can I actually engage the world today, even as kids? And so we thought for sure the Lord was calling calling us into missions. And we thought that was going to be third world. We pursued that for a time. The Lord began to close doors on the opportunity to go third world. That was a crisis of faith for us. We had put our house up on the market. We thought the call was so clear. And when the doors began to close, we were... We were kind of shocked, and that hurt a little bit. So if you're in a place today where you're stepping out in faith to what God is calling you to do and doors begin to close, can I just encourage you that man makes plans, but the Lord determines his steps. And sometimes we just take the next step and the door close, and the Lord just wants us to turn and see a hallway full of open doors. And so he's so faithful to that, so don't give up. Anyway, I'll quit preaching. I like to preach. That's why I'm long-winded. So anyway, um, that's our story. That's how we got started, and we just did the next thing. God showed us that ministry was going to look different, and it was going to, to be in America, and it was going to be in a 
fifth wheel and we were going to travel and I wasn't real open to that at first, but um, God was gracious to bring me to that vision. And eventually um, in July of 2017, we did sell our five bedroom home in Minneapolis. We sold just about everything in it and we bought this home on wheels and this is where we live and we do life. And we've committed as a family to travel for two years, stopping in cities where human trafficking is great, and, um, and just letting the Lord open doors to speak and to teach. And it's been an awesome journey. We are in our 18th month, so over half of our commitment finished, and um, this is our 19th state, and we, we lost count, but we're thinking somewhere around what, eight to 10,000 people that we've had the opportunity to directly educate on the road. So it's been quite a journey, and we're happy to be here and tell you about our holy discontent um, so that you can engage the world in this area. Yeah. So uh, this map here is an infrared map put out by an organization called... Um Polaris Project, and where you see it's the darkest red on this map is where human trafficking is the worst. We originally had set our course based on this, so where it's the darkest red is where Love to Hope was going to go. We were going to go into the devil's playground in every city where human trafficking is known to be um, the worst in the country. And for the most part, we have visited many of those. However, God has redirected our steps a little bit. Along the way, for example, we ended up spending six weeks in North Dakota, of all places, way up there where you don't see much color. Um, however, most people don't realize that in 2010, it was the uh, trafficking hot spot of the country. Um, and that's because of a big oil boom that they had up there on the west side of the state. And so girls and boys were being brought in from all over the country to service the demand of the men that were in the man camps um, that were working in the oil fields. And so that state actually just welcomed us with open arms. And uh, we had over almost 50 presentations in six weeks. We not only were tired, but we looked tired when we drove out of uh, North Dakota. However, lots of people were, be able, were able to be educated while we were there. And then we have to come south when you live in a camper in the winter. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, we're very grateful to be here right now because our family in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, if you've watched the weather at all, um, you know that it's not just a cold year, but a year with tons of snow also. So there are perks to living in a camper, right, babe? Yeah, dang it. That's right. And, uh, and most days are good, but not all of them, uh, if we're honest with you. And we just uh, spent three months down in Texas. Uh, we did San Antonio, Waco, and then time in El Paso. And God has just continued for 18 months to be so faithful. Everywhere we've gone, he has blown open the doors and networked on our behalf. And we are so thankful again to be a part of it. Now here we zoomed into uh, Arizona for you. So if you take a look at the map, Obviously, you see Phoenix is a massive red hot spot, and then just south of there is you guys, right? This is you, red hot spot. So a lot of people think, um, if I were to ask, why do you think it's so bad in the southern part of the state or when we were in El Paso, um, why do you think trafficking is so bad? And the number one answer we would get if we pulled folks and asked them is, oh, we're close to the border. And I want to tell you that, yes, that is an issue, but the number one reason why human trafficking is so bad in these southern states is actually because of the interstate. All right, you have major interstates actually that go from one side of the country to the other, and the transportation of human beings, children, women, men, boys, um, are all along those interstates. And people were really surprised in El Paso when I told them that over 90% of all the victims that were rescued 
are actually U.S. citizens. Very, one in 10, were from another country. So that's a big misconception that a lot of people have when they're close to the border. Um, they think that a lot of foreign nationals are being brought in and trafficked, and yes, that does happen, okay? But it's actually very minimal. Those that are being trafficked in America are actually being groomed here. So it's our own children are being groomed, and that's why this information is so important and so powerful to, um, to take and uh, use to fight trafficking. Now, every state gets a grade, a, B, C, D, F, and uh, Arizona's grade uh, is a C, um, which it could be worse, but it also could be better. Um, they're doing some really great work on the legal side. However, one of the big things that they're missing is um, criminal or provisions for those that have been trafficked for victims, and then how they're persecuting those that are arrested. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done on changing laws. So rather than a buyer getting a slap on the hand um, and keep your pants zipped up, they actually arrest them and throw them in jail. Um, Arizona's not there yet. So, you know, we'll be in here about truck stops and all along the interstate and they call girls lot lizards in the truck stops. And you, uh, if you're at a truck stop at the right time of the evening, you'll see the girls get out of the vehicles and just go knock on doors. And we've heard stories of girls that have been rescued that have said, yeah, a police officer would knock on the door. And um, they would literally tell the man, you know, zip it up and don't take a disease home to your wife. And they would arrest me. And they would try me, a child, as a prostitute. And I would get the record, and they would let the buyer go. So that's what we're fighting against, and that's why your prayers are so needed, and your voice on the legal side and, uh, to get laws changed. And Arizona's doing a lot of really great work, um, but they need more, more help. They need more voices, and your voices can definitely make that impact. So... How, what is trafficking? Let's start with a definition. All right. I often pull audiences. I'm not going to do that ton tonight because it's, uh, I don't know, I, I'm just not. <laughs> but I often, <laughs> I often pull audiences when we speak and I say, rate yourself on a scale of one to five. One being, I'm like you seven years ago. I know nothing about human trafficking. I've heard some stories in the news. I know the phrase. To five being, I know a ton about this. I'm passionate about this. I research this and I'm highly involved in fighting it. And so then audience hands go up, one, two, three, four, five. And almost everywhere we speak, we get primarily ones and twos. So assuming that's probably the case here, we're just going to start at the basics of what is trafficking and we're going to work our way up. So if you would have rated yourself a four or five, some of this is going to be review for you. But we still hope to remind you of why you're a four or five. Um, obviously, you care about the issue very much. So, um, what is trafficking? There are two main types of human trafficking. So if you hear human trafficking, just know they're often combining the two main types in those large statistics. So there's labor trafficking and there's sex trafficking. Both of them have three words in common, force, fraud, and coercion. So those are always elements of human trafficking. Both of them happen in the United States. They are not just third world country issues, which I think we've probably cleared up at this point. So we are not gonna spend a ton of time on labor trafficking tonight. The primary um, bulk of our education is gonna be sex trafficking, but I do wanna touch on labor trafficking because everybody can do something, and labor trafficking is a place where we can all get involved in fighting human trafficking um, right from the get-go. So, 
Um, labor trafficking also can be broken down into a variety of divisions. I think there's up to like 25 different divisions of labor trafficking. Some of them will include things like domestic servitude, organ harvesting, child bride, child soldier. Those would all be considered labor trafficking. And then there's sex trafficking, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, labor trafficking is any work done involuntarily under the threat of a penalty like violence or harm to the victim's family. The victim is often unable to leave. Um, according to the Urban Institute report, 71% of all labor trafficking victims arrive to the U.S. on a temporary work visa. So this is where we are seeing some border crossing, um, more border crossing than sex trafficking for labor trafficking. Um, and they're coming to the United States with the promise of good work on a work visa. And then those papers are taken. So now this person is afraid of uh, deportation. There's debt bondage for getting them there in the first place. There's threats to the family, lies, things like that that force them to work in inhumane conditions. In the United States, common types of labor trafficking include people forced to work in homes as domestic servants, farm workers coerced through violence as they harvest crops, factory workers in inhumane conditions, and labor trafficking has been reported in door-to-door -door sales crews, restaurants, construction work, carnivals, and even the health and beauty industry. And there I'm specifically referring to primarily nail salons and massage parlors. Okay, you're gonna see a lot of labor trafficking and sex trafficking in the massage parlors taking place. So how does labor trafficking affect us? I think the key thing for us to realize is that human trafficking is affecting all of us, um, directly and indirectly. And labor trafficking affects everybody in the room. Every day before we ever get to work, we are eating, wearing, walking, talking, slavery. Everybody touches, wears, eats products that have been tainted with slavery. And that is from Kevin Bales, who wrote the book, The Slave Next Door, which is a great read. Yeah, feel free to take pictures of any of these slides, you guys. Um, if, you don't, if you're not taking notes, they're, they're yours. So uh, take as many pictures as you want. Yeah, like. absolutely. Especially because we're going to give you a ton of information, and I'm kind of a fast talker. But based on the economic principles of supply and demand, human trafficking thrives. If there was not a demand, there would not be a supply. When it comes to labor trafficking, that exists because as consumers, we are demanding cheaper and cheaper products. If we demand cheaper and cheaper products, then it forces a supply of cheaper and cheaper labor, which is where labor trafficking um, enters in. So as consumers, we have to awaken to the reality of the not-so-free market. And we have to realize that we have the responsibility and the capacity to think through and choose wisely ensuring that everyday purchases that we make are not having a detrimental effect on other people. So we encourage you just to be a conscious consumer. Um, here are some ways that you can do that. Part of being a conscious, con a conscious consumer is educating ourselves about the hidden costs behind the things that we buy. But it also means understanding how our purchases can help us shape a more, more sustainable business practices and a more responsible economy as a whole. So we encourage you to go to this website, slaveryfootprint.org. Org. Um, you're going to need some time to take this survey. It's probably going to need about 30 minutes at least. And it's going to ask you a lot of questions.
options, like where you shop, brands you buy, percentages of produce versus meats that you eat, all sorts of things. Um, and then at the end of the survey, it's going to kick out a number of approximate slaves you have working for you based on that information. Now, I'm not saying it's 100% accurate. First of all, we don't always have our own percentages figured out, how much produce, I mean, you, we take guesses. But I am saying it's a huge eye-opener. It's a huge eye-opener, and it makes us start to rethink, where can I make changes? Lord, as stewards of the money and resources you have given me, where can I make changes um, that are not having such a negative impact on lives, on human beings? Um, first time I took this um, for myself, I had well over 35 slaves working for me. So it's just an eye-opener. There are products consumed um, the most in the United States that have the highest slavery footprint, and those are coffee, chocolate, tea, sugars, bananas, and clothing. And so we would encourage you, if you can't do anything else after you leave tonight, just shop fair trade for even one of those items. Just consider changing one of those items. Fair trade, these are some different logos that you may see on packaging on these things and others. Fair trade means from the harvesting of the cocoa bean or the cotton ball all the way to the chocolate bar you are enjoying or the t-shirt you're wearing, there's a clean slavery footprint. There's no slaves involved. So um, that's what fair trade means. One of the most common logos you'll find is the one he's pointing at right there. That's probably the most common. Um, but it's just a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Um, we do have an obligation to, to think about are the purchases I'm making um, sustainable for human beings. If it's a cheap product, we need to ask ourselves, why is it cheap? Because cheap for me is very, could be very costly for somebody else. So it's a small baby step in fighting labor trafficking. And if you're like me, you're rolling your eyes right now going, seriously, you're telling me buy fair trade coffee and I'm going to change the world. I'm saying it's a start. Our collective voice is very powerful. And so I love to use the example of high fructose corn syrup. So we decided as consumers we don't want high fructose corn syrup in our products. Our bodies don't digest it no more. So we started buying products that don't have high fructose corn syrup. Now what is one of the number one labels that you'll see on cereal boxes, breads, on ketchup bottles? No high fructose corn syrup. Why? Because we started demanding with our pocketbook change. The same thing happens with GMOs. We don't want them. Now what's non-GMO? Now another common label that we see coming out is Organic. We're tired of pesticides and herbicides. We're demanding, we're putting our money elsewhere. So the same thing happens with fair trade. Our collective voice makes change, but it even is deeper than that. It's a root issue, right, of what we think we're entitled to and what we, we should have because we can. Um, when I moved from a five-bedroom home to 350 square feet, it was a huge eye-opener how much excess we have, right? As, as Americans, we can buy things because it's cheap. We can buy things because we're pursuing the American dream. We can buy things because we have the space. And so we do really have to start to consider um, the cost that that's having on human beings and on our environment. And really, is it exercising good stewardship? So this is a place where you give yourself a lot of grace. 
I don't think it's possible to be 100% fair trade. I honestly don't, not yet. Maybe we could push for that as a collective voice. If you have a smartphone, you have a ding against you already. But it is a place where we can um, just, where, where perfect is the enemy of good. We do our best. Um, we ask the Lord to help us make changes, and we become conscious consumers. Um, next slide. Here are some other ways that you can become a conscious consumer on your not fair trade smartphone. You could download some apps, um, and those apps will help you scan barcodes of products that you consume on a regular basis, and they will help help you navigate if that's a clean line or if, it, if you could make a change. So if there's something you buy often, maybe you could make a change. Growing a garden or shopping local farmer market is a great place to start, but always, and because I've just barely scratched the surface on labor trafficking tonight, continue to educate yourself and educate others. So here are some great documentaries that we recommend that you watch. The Dark Side of Chocolate, Nothing Like Chocolate. Um, obviously, they're talking about chocolate. Um, True Cost is talking about fair trade clothing that is actually very hard to find and is expensive. So one of the ways in the Levesque household that we um, try to reduce our slavery footprint when it comes to clothing is we shop secondhand. And we actually just consume less clothes. I mean, we don't need to buy a new shirt because we're going to a new event. That's an American mindset. So we buy, pro we buy clothes that will last. We buy clothes that are neutral and can be worn a lot. And so we just can reduce that altogether. So True Cost talks about about that, and it's hugely eye-opening. Um, this is also an area when it comes to labor trafficking. If you're beginning to educate your kids on slavery in general, human trafficking, um, this is a great place to start the labor trafficking side. So you can educate your kids. Those those documentaries, the first two, maybe six years old, five six years old, um, start talking to them about the fact that not every child out there has the life that you do. Slavery is real, and we have, as parents and grandparents, we're trying to do our part and make a change. Um, and it's a great conversation to begin developing that understanding that slavery is happening today. Obviously, go to our website at any time, lovetohope.com, and there's more information, more websites to learn more. So that's all we're going to talk about for labor trafficking. Um, I highly encourage you to do more research. It's fascinating. And then just, like I said, just ask the Lord where we can work together to make change. All right, from here on out, we're going to talk about sex trafficking. But before I begin, I'd like to clarify just a few things. First, boys and girls are trafficked. Most are girls, so I'm going to speak from that standpoint. But boys are trafficked too, and that's really important to remember. And that number is increasing um, the percentage of boys that are being trafficked. Some buyers are women, but most are men. And women as pimps are on the rise, but most are men. So from here on out, I'm going to speak from the majority standpoint, but just know that at any time those pronouns could be reversed. Okay? Makes sense? All right. What is sex trafficking? That occurs when a commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion. Those are your three key words. Or in which the person induced to perform such an act has not attained 18 years of age. There is no such thing as a child prostitute. Children are prostituted. And yet we still have 25 states in the United States of America that will criminalize minors as prostitutes. Arizona being one of them. 
Okay, so we're still working on that. Even if you were to have a 15 or 16-year-old appear and by all intents and purposes to be putting herself up for sale online or she's walking the street and seems to be wanting to make money selling her body according to the Victims Protection, Federal Victims Protection Trafficking Act, some mouthful like that, she is simply too young to decide. She cannot make that decision for herself and therefore it would still be considered sex trafficking. That's really important to remember. So we do have some, some more um, work that needs to be done in the legislative level to make those laws um, come together in agreement. So if legal advocacy is your tool in your hand, this is where we need your voice for sure. But that's important to remember. Um, sex trafficking occurs in a range of venues, including fake massage businesses, online ads, or escort services, in residential brothels, on the street, at truck stops, at hotels, or motels. Um, and so it's important to know that it's happening here. And we're going to go over some key statistics. Yeah. So. Uh the big uh, number here that you're going to see, well, all of them are big numbers. Um, the key is to know um, and take away tonight that there are more slaves today than any other time in human history. There are more slaves today than ever before. Um, you'll see numbers between 30 and 45 million, depending on what organization you uh, look at. Um, the key is to know that there are a lot, and it's worse now than it ever was before. Now, of that 30 million, approximately 5 to 6 million are being trafficked and exploited on the sex side. And the reason why is because it is a billion dollar industry. There is a lot of money to be made off of selling human beings, especially selling children. A lot of money to be made. A trafficker will make about a hundred to $150,000 a year on one girl. Um, so if a trafficker has four to five girls in his stable that he calls it, uh, you do the math, that's upwards of a million dollars a year in profit by selling five girls. Um, and the reason why they're selling more human beings now and it surpassed the sale of illegal firearms and is about to surpass the sale of illegal drugs is because when you sell guns and drugs, you have to replace your product. But when you sell a human being, traffickers can sell a boy or a girl 12 to 50 times a day, 365 days a year, over and over and over again, rarely having to replace their product. And so it's easy to make a lot of money very quickly on an ongoing basis. And unfortunately, because our youth are um, so enthralled in uh, their lives are online now more than ever before. Traffickers have an easy in, very easy access to get um, in front of our children, and they don't even know who they really are because they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that's why they need to be educated as much as you guys do. Um, thousands and hundreds of thousands of children are being exploited every year in the United States under the age of 18. And I shared this morning that the average age in America is 14 years old. But remember, that's a bell curve, okay? So the top of that bell curve is 14, but on the high side, it's 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And on the low side of that curve is 11, 12, and 13-year-olds. So anywhere between the ages of 11 and 17, those are the ones that are being most targeted today by traffickers because the younger the child, the higher price tag they have. 
So every year younger, the trafficker can charge more money because the demand for younger and younger children continues to rise and it's harder to find younger kids. I was really surprised because um, I thought this just happened in Cambodia and Thailand and countries like that where sex is tourism, um, where you would see young kids under the age of five. But Waco, I got, we got to speak with the sheriff there the county sheriff, and he said they line up fake stings all the time where they'll put an ad online um, for a, a, a young child, and then the men will respond to that, and they'll come, and then they'll arrest them when they show up. Well, they put a, an ad online for a two- and a four-year-old, and uh, they lined up, and uh, th that made me sick. I almost had, I told Kay, I almost had to walk out of his office. I got so nauseous and sick to my stomach when I heard that. And we do this for a living. Um, but my heart still continues to break when I hear this. And I think when I can't be surprised anymore, uh, uh, I'm surprised yet again at the depravity of man. And why and how do you get to a place where you want to purchase a four-year-old or a two-year-old for that type of pleasure? I don't know. Uh, but in America, the average is 14, and so our youth really need to be paying attention and told this information. Oops. Oh, it stopped. Really good. Okay, so now, um, usually it just keeps playing when I go back. So we're going to watch Rebecca's video. It's only four minutes, and then we'll share with you a little bit about Rebecca, and then we're going to take a short break so you can use the restroom if you'd like to, and then we'll come back and we're going to go deep, okay? So uh, tune in and uh, watch the video. You look comfortable, so pretend you're at the movie theater, all right, getting educated. Okay, the happy news is that Rebecca is out of the life. Um, she is surviving and thriving, and she, yeah, you can play that Bender video, and um, she has her own organization called the Rebecca Bender Initiative, and she is the she's hope, right? She's hope because there is rescue, redemption, reintegration for these girls, and that's what helps all of us in the anti-trafficking organizations keep going. Or stories like Rebecca. So um, you can certainly check out her organization. She helps mentor hundreds. I think she's had over 400 survivors go through her program and be reintegrated back into society since she's started that. So um, when we come back, we're going to talk more about her story and talk about the trafficking and grooming process. All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, talk about um, how this happens. Now, everything I'm about to share with you, um, you can. this comes out of the handbook that traffickers or people that want to start their own prostitution business can actually purchase online on Amazon. Um, there is a book written, and this information is taken right out of that book, okay? So this isn't our, information, our opinion on the grooming process. These are the specific tactics that traffickers are using based on how they're learning to start a very profitable prostitution business, all right? So this is right out of their handbook, all right? So tune in, because uh, this is how it happens, whether it's two weeks or a year, traffickers will take as much time as they need, they'll be as patient as they need to make sure that girl is ready to be sold for top dollar as a product, all right? So this is one of the big misconceptions in America. The fact that many people still think that the majority of the victims that are being trafficked today are abducted. And I do want to tell you that that happens primarily in third world countries, okay, where they're taken off the streets and they're put in ropes and put on a boat and sent to another country. Yes, that does happen. But in America, the primary way that the victims are, um, coer are um, put into trafficking is through coercion. 
All right, they're tricked into the lifestyle. This is almost all of them in America. So um, while you see pictures of girls in chains or in ropes tied up, um, media has done, you know, they're, they're good at over-sensationalizing, like I mentioned this morning, and that does happen, but not here in America with our own American youth, all right? So what is a trafficker going to do to build his business? He is going to target children where they hang out, all right? So where is he going to go? The, the top three places that traffickers are going to go are malls, um, they're, they're in our schools, and primarily they're online, all right, the number one obviously is online. For example, um, how many people in the last 48 hours in here have been on Instagram or Snapchat? Raise your hand. Okay, almost all the youth have raised their hand. That is um, because um, that, those are the two most popular sites for um, youth today. Well, traffickers know this, which is why they're hanging out on Instagram and Snapchat as well. So that begs this question. What type of information am I posting on those social media sites. And a lot of people don't realize that there are other men dressed up like wolves in sheep clothing that appear to be another 13 or 14 year old boy or girl, a friend, and uh, they become friends with us. So when we think of traffickers, many times in our minds we have these, this vision of the seedy person that's disgusting, and they're actually um, not like that many of the times um, online. They are posing as a, a, another friend, a young human being, when actually they're a, the average buyer is 40 to 55-year-old white males married with children. Those are the average buyers. Traffickers um, run the gamut as well. Men, women, like Kay mentioned, all different walks of life, and they choose to go into this particular business. And so um, they're watching everything our kids do online. They're monitoring them. Um, a lot of people don't even have their location services turned off on their phone. So when they do take a picture and post it, um, a trafficker can know exactly where it was and when the picture was taken. So they can actually start to run into our youth. So they're not really strangers anymore. They're actually people that you have seen on a regular basis, whether you're paying attention to it or not, um, is beside the point. They're not complete strangers when they actually end up meeting our youth. Now, when I said malls, you know, we have the Mall of America in Minneapolis, and that has been a trafficking hub for transportation um, of trafficking victims in the country. Fortunately, um, that mall really set a high precedence, and other malls around the country are making this change where you can't even be in the mall after, I think, 5 o'clock by yourself if you're under the age of 18. And other malls around the country are doing the same thing. And you know, traffickers would go up to a group of girls in a mall and they would say, wow, you, you are beautiful. And the girls that looked up and said, thank you, they would ignore because they're too confident. The girl that then said, oh, I'm not real pretty and would put her head down is like prime target right there. She's insecure about who she is. And they come and they feed on the vulnerabilities of our kids. But what did I say earlier? Um, did I mention what the primary vulnerability is? The average age is 14. So the primary vulnerability for youth today is not poverty. It's not runaway youth. It's not foster care, broken foster care system. Um, it doesn't matter what your skin color is or what your zip code is. The number one vulnerability in America today is just age. Now, some of those things, yes, do make someone more vulnerable than another. But in America, the number one vulnerability is simply age. 
And so that's why our job is to impart wisdom on children so they know what's out there, all right? Schools, I mentioned schools being a top recruiting area. So we just heard in El Paso, yeah, traffickers, they actually go to the west side, which is the nicest schools in El Paso, because it's easier to start grooming girls in the nicer schools. Surprise? What they do is they hire upper-class boys, and the girls call them daddies, and these upper-class boys will start to date these younger 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade girls. And their primary role is to get them to a place where they can then hand them over to the trafficker. All right? And so, yes, peer-to-peer recruiting in schools is at an all-time high today. And so you're fortunate to have an organization like Sold No More here in Tucson that is in the schools talking about this stuff. Um, But we need more advocates, definitely for training teachers, counselors, and students themselves, all right? So they're going to target kids where they go. Now, um, and their vulnerability. So let me go back. How was Rebecca targeted? What was her vulnerability? Her daughter. Yeah, she was a single mom. That's right. And what did she want more than anything for her daughter? A a, a good family. Yeah, she wanted a good life for her daughter. And so he knew that, and he swooped in, and he was not a stranger, not danger. She took him to meet her family. Her family approved. They were going to move away, and he's going to be in the entertainment business. She thought, like all these boys and girls that get started when it comes to coercion, she thought he was legitimate and really cared for her. And that is his number one goal, to make her feel like she has never felt before. And what girl, especially between 12 and 17, doesn't go through a phase in her life where she doesn't like herself, her looks, her parents, school? It's called hormones and emotions, and they go up and down. It happens to every youth. And traffickers are watching because what happens is we typically are posting everything online about how we feel. And so he knows when the perfect time is to come in and be the knight in shining armor. So he will come in, and he will typically be, which is warning sign number one. And by the way, all the warning signs are on this bookmark here that I'm going to share with you tonight, and they're back on the table. Thank you um, to Matt for printing these out for us. We really appreciate that. So warning sign number one is an older boyfriend. If you know of a girl, whether it's a friend, a niece, a nephew, a child, or a grandchild that has a boyfriend that's three or four years older than her, red flags should be going off everywhere, okay? Because this is the warning sign number one. Now... His number one goal is to make her a product, so he has to train her. Now, she has no idea that she's being trained to be a product, but she is going along with all of this um, because she loves him and she thinks he loves her. So he'll introduce pornography to her. However, 50% of girls today in junior high are looking at pornography um, because they're looking at it more as it from an educational standpoint, and what do boys expect of me, and how am I going to perform when we get to that place? You know, when I was a teacher in 2003, I'd confiscate notes from third graders talking about oral sex. Do you think it's gotten better or worse since 2003? It's a lot worse. Yeah, kissing isn't a big thing in junior high today, all right? Um, Sex is normal. It it is going on in our schools, absolutely, um, at younger and younger ages, and pornography is the gateway drug to all of this. All right, pornography is the gateway drug. So if she's not looking at it already, he's introducing it. And then they'll become sexually active and he'll film them having sex because he'll later want to use this as blackmail. And he'll tell her that I'll share this with your youth group. I'll share this with your school. Um, So she will feel trapped like she doesn't see a way out, okay? She'll get a new pet name that he will eventually sell her by online. Oh, and when I say online, selling online, I mean there's... um, 
two or three websites that I could pull up right now, and I could type in the zip code that we're in here in Tucson, and I could get the list of boys and girls that are for sale for me to purchase right now if I wanted to pull them up. Um, that's how easy it is to order children today for sex. Within 30 minutes, I could have a girl delivered to me if I wanted. It's as easy to order a child for sex as it is to order a pizza today. That's how simple it is. Um, at any given moment, and there are a number of sites that do that. So I had a youth, an eighth grader, ask me last week in El Paso, so if you know of these places where you can go, why don't the police go there? I'm like, you should be a prosecutor when you grow up. Um, and absolutely, the police are using that to their advantage, and they are setting up fake stings and ads on those websites. Absolutely. And you may have heard last April, actually, because of legislation that has been passed um, it, with the government that we have now, um, that all the websites were actually shut down all at once that we knew were selling children. Uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, all the CEOs were arrested because um, we all knew in the industry where the children were being sold, what websites to go to, but nothing could happen to them. They were untouchable because of the commercial decency act. Com uh, Commercial Communications Act, yeah. It was Section 238, um, it was changed, amended, and so that protection that they had, even up to the Supreme Court level, no one could prosecute them. Everyone knew that they were doing this on their websites and no one could do a thing. Well, last April, that was all changed and overnight, all those websites were shut down. Unfortunately, what they all do? They went over to Europe and started European URLs because it's not illegal over there. So within 24 hours, they were all up and running again and all the kids were being sold. But we're moving in the right direction, so there is hope. There is hope, okay? So he's going to change her appearance. Not her physical appearance, um, but uh, how she dresses. Um, he will want her to dress and act like um, a buyer wants. And so he will want her to dress a little more provocatively. And he won't tell her to go buy this stuff. These are warning signs. He will buy them for her. So when you see girls, younger girls, that are wearing new outfits that are a little bit more provocative, or they have new jewelry that's expensive, or um, new handbags, uh, what girl in eighth grade has $300 for a new purse? Uh, most don't. Um, they get their hair and nails done on a regular basis. And what girl in eighth grade has $150 to get her hair cut and colored and her nails done? Most don't have that kind of money. But traffickers will spend this money during the grooming process. All these are huge warning signs, and many girls would say that were saved out of this lifestyle, I wish someone would have just noticed. No one noticed. Rebecca was running through the casino. Did anyone notice? No, no one noticed. They didn't know what to look for. After tonight, you will. All right, so his goal is to isolate her from her friends and her family. This is like any domestic violence case. He wants her time. Is she okay with that? Yeah, because she loves him. She wants to spend as much time as she can with him. And this is when maybe mom and dad are thinking, something's not right here. And they may come in and say, I don't like this relationship. And what is she going to say? You don't understand. I love him. You just don't get it because she is so enthralled with this new relationship she has and no one understands and actually that pushes her further away from her parents and this is when parents rather than stepping in actually take a step back thinking i must be overthinking this maybe n nothing's wrong here and uh, when they should be jumping in and making sure they know everything about this particular person now almost every single victim we have learned about interviewed or read about 
This is how it's happened. Very similar. So here it may look like this. Hey, babe, let's go up to Phoenix next weekend for a concert. Um, we'll leave on Friday. We'll come home Sunday morning. And she says, there's no way my parents are going to let me leave with you to go overnight up to Phoenix. So I'll tell them I'm staying at my friend's house. And if they call, we'll do a three-way and she'll vouch for me. And so she's got all that lined up. And they go up to Phoenix. And on the way up there on Friday night, he says, you know, I love you and I'd do anything for you, but I'm short on cash. We want to have a good time this weekend, don't we? And she's like, yeah. She says, well, if you'll just strip of this club for a short amount of time on our way up, we'll stop um, right on our way up there or sleep with my friend when we get to Phoenix. We'll have a few hundred bucks and we're going to have a great time. And she won't want to do it because it's uncomfortable, but she will because she loves him. And as soon as she does this one thing for money, he now considers her property. And this is when the switch is flipped, and this is when it gets awful. So this is where nightmares are made. This is when he puts quotas on her, when he deprives her of food and water. Typically, she will start drugs now because um, even if they're, um, they're not the hard drugs, but drugs to, be, um, to allow her to stay up all night and to then sleep really quick when she needs to because she's so tired. So speed and then depressants and she'll be on this roller coaster. So you're going to notice behavior changes. Now, a lot of people think this girl at this point has run away from home or she's been taken from home. And that's not the case most of the time. Okay. When she begins to be trafficked, most girls are still living at home under the roof of their parents. There is a really great book called The Slave Across the Street um, by Teresa Flores. And we have that book on our website as a recommend. She was trafficked for 18 months out of her home in a really wealthy neighborhood in suburban Detroit. Her parents, two parents, married, dad had a great job, and they had no idea for a year and a half that her daughter was being trafficked by night. So school by day, student, trafficked at night. She would sneak out three or four nights a week if she got the call at midnight, and she would go work all night long and then come home. Happens all the time. So many people think these girls are gone and parents are searching for her, and that's not the case. A lot of people also think, I know who my child is, and then they come to find out when their kid does leave or run away, that uh, when they go do some searching online on their social media sites, their kid is a lot different than they thought. So what I'm saying here, parents, is a lot of kids these days um, almost have a whole different lifestyle online than they have in person in real life. There's a good movie out in Redbox now called Searching. Have you heard of it? Okay, watch it. It's a great Hollywood flick. It has some good twists and turns. It's well done. But the whole point of the movie is this. At the beginning of the movie, the dad says, I thought I knew my child. At the end of the movie, when he learns all this, he, he says, I thought I knew my child. You just said the same thing. Oh. I know who my child is, <laughs> and I thought I knew who my child was. So he, he really thought he knew his, his daughter, and come to find out when she had gone missing for 48 hours and he did all this research, she, he really had no idea. So there are a lot of apps and websites that uh, our kids are going to to chat, and they're hiding a lot of information that parents have no idea about, and we would love to educate you on a few of those, um, and our website is full of great resources for you there. So. He's going to ask her to bring home $1,000, or he knows where her, her sister lives. He knows where her family lives, and she will need to comply. And this is when a lot of people with healthy minds think, well, when she sees a way out, why doesn't she run? When the, 
when an older lady working with, she thinks is working with an organization and gives her a card and says, honey, when you're ready to get out of the life, you call this number. She calls the number and who answers the phone? Her trafficker. He set up a fake sting. He beats her to near death. Do you think she's ever going to take that bait again? Most girls don't even see themselves as victims anymore because they're so traumatized that they think this is what they're worthy of. This is who they are. So most girls, when they're rescued and brought into a safe environment, will go back into the life up to seven times on average. And this is brought into a safe house where they have people showing them love, sharing Jesus with them, getting them the therapy they need, getting them off drugs, and they still go back up to seven times on average because the emotional and physical trauma is unlike anything you or I have ever imagined. Actually, therapists today are having to go back and learn new therapy models because the models for trauma therapy that they've been using for like PTSD, they don't work for these kids. It is a new level of trauma no therapist has ever seen before. So they're having to learn new therapy models to work with these victims. So when I share with you, we can't put our healthy minds onto the mind of a 13-year-old that is selling herself 40 times a day. Um, It's important we don't do that because we become judgmental. It's easy to start judging them for why they're in that position when we really have no idea what they've been through, okay? So she doesn't see a way out. She is trapped. She doesn't feel like she can run. And many times she has fallen in love with her captor. So have you heard of Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah, she actually starts to, she still believes this dream he promised her. Many times he will impregnate her because now there's even more of a bond. And some, in some areas, pregnant girls get the highest price tag when they're being sold. Uh, The fetishes of human beings these days is just, it is so sickening. Um, there There will be beatings. They will have groups of men dress up in police uniforms to rape her over and over, so she trusts no one. And she will do anything her trafficker says from here on out. So when you think about trafficking in these victims, please know that they don't think of themselves as a victim, and they really don't see a way out. That's why more than anything, the church has got to be on its knees and praying. The most powerful thing we can do as the church is pray because we have a mighty God that wants to step in. And the next thing is action, which is what we're going to share with you in just a few moments. Mm-hmm. All right. Talk, talk, testing one, two, yellow mic. There we go. Um, we know we gave you a lot of information, so take a deep breath and let it out, because there is hope in this horrendous scourge on, on humanity. There is hope. That's Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, and God uses his people to bring hope. So hopefully, you guys have understand a little bit more how an average American youth can be caught up, tricked, coerced into this kind of lifestyle and trapped. Our goal with Love to Hope is to, is to prevent boys and girls from ever getting past phase one or two, right? Because there are lots of organizations that are working in, you know, phase five and past that, working to get girls out, restored, renewed, reintegrated, and we need those, but there's simply not enough resources. In America, the number we heard, the most recent statistic is there's only 600 safe beds specifically geared towards helping um, survivors of sex trafficking, 600. At any given day, we need 13,000. 
Okay, there's a huge shortage in money. Um, starting Safe Homes is millions of dollars and needs tons of resources. So what can we do to prevent boys and girls from getting into this position in the first place? Well, we need to address root causes. We need to first address root causes because if there is a supply of children as slaves in the United States, then there is, means there's a what? There's a demand, right? So what is perpetuating um, this problem? That's when we're gonna just talk about a few re root causes. There are many things we could talk about, but we believe there are three primary root causes feeding the demand of human trafficking. Um, that we need to address. And the first is the lack of sanctity of human life. The history of all types of slavery hinges on the belief that one person's sex, color, religion is of less worth than another. You can see the impact of the lack of value of human life as we look at the issue of abortion, as we look at abuse of elderly or mentally disabled, euthanasia. We have an increase in violence and hate crimes because we've forgotten that all humans are made in the image of God. And that gives them great value and great worth. So when we remove the value and dignity from one person or group, then it's not such a far stretch to begin to treat others as objects, products, slaves. At its core, sex trafficking is an issue of the sanctity of human life. The selling and trading of human life for the purpose of sex, labor, or any other purpose is an attack on human dignity. The global sex trafficking industry promotes and thrives on the idea that humans are commodities. And so we have to combat the narrative. We have to remind people of their worth and their value. We have to be speaking uh, um, for the sanctity of human life, and we have to be speaking life into our youth. Where is your value found? And um, why do people matter to a holy God? That is a root cause of human trafficking. The second is the proliferation of pornography. And that is a huge gateway drug to human trafficking. Yeah, oftentimes we get the, I get the question, if you were to boil it down to one thing, what would be the primary cause of human trafficking? Why is it so bad? Why is there such a high demand? Um, without a doubt, number one absolutely is pornography, okay? And um, when we talk about pornography, it's a little uncomfortable situation because uh, it's in the majority of our homes. Um, and anyone that ever looks at pornography is actually helping little girls get raped. Um, think about that when someone argues for pornography because you're going to get plenty of America that thinks pornography is okay and it's good for healthy relationships. And what we know and what we've learned is it is the exact opposite of that. Get this, what we know happens in the brain when a young boy, average age is nine now, when boys seek porn for the first time, whether they're looking for it or they accidentally come across it. Average age is nine. So parents, if you're not talking to your kids about this, um, believe me, they're learning it all from their friends and who do you want to be educating? Do you want it to be you or do you want it to be porn? Because pornography is educating our youth on what sex is today. So the average age that, uh, you know, the first time a young man will buy a girl is in his early 20s because He's been looking at pornography for, what, 10 years now? And his mindset on, um, on what sex is and how it looks and the fact that these girls are doing this because they are trying to make a living. Nine out of 10 prostitutes have a trafficker. So these girls aren't doing this because they want to make a living. 
they have someone on the other side of that camera holding a gun, if she's not smiling while she's performing for that video, she'll be beaten when she's done. And when a young boy first sees this act, um, there's a chemical reaction that happens in the brain. And these chemical reactions uh, range from fear to shame and pleasure. And they equate that same chemical reaction that happens when you first see pornography to the same chemical reaction that happens when you take heroin for the first time. So scientifically, we know that this chemical reaction is the exact same between the two. Is heroin addictive? <laughs> yes. So if we know that they're the same, is pornography addictive? It is highly addictive from the very first time a young boy sees it. That, that shame comes in. I don't want to tell anyone about it. It is wrong. It doesn't seem right. But I want to go look at it again. And then what does society teach all of our boys and girls? That it's okay to look at that. It's normal. Is it normal? Do you want that to be normal for a young boy to grow up thinking that's what a sexual relationship is? It is the objectification of women at its finest. Pornography is. And 50% of women are looking at it now. And the, the statistics are startling for our young youth that are looking at this. One of the best organizations to go to, guys, if you want to find out more information, is called Fight the New Drug. Fight the New Drug is kind of the leader in this area um, when it comes to this fight. They are on the front lines. They're taking a lot of attacks, obviously, but they're doing a lot of good. And schools are inviting them in all over the country to come and talk to their junior high and high school kids about pornography. It is amazing the amount of great information you'll get from that. But I just want to encourage you, parents, youth in the room, this needs to be an ongoing conversation in your home um, when when you find out that this is a part of a youth's life retribution is the worst way to go because as soon as you make this a bad thing um, the more they want to retreat and hold it to themselves we know even by accident that they're going to run across this because if our kids are, aren't looking at it or searching it the porn industry spending billions of dollars to get in front of our kids so our son was playing a little game on his grandmother's tablet Kay looked over on the couch and noticed there's a girl half naked dancing in the corner. What was it? It was an ad. What, where, where would he have gone if he clicked on that? Do you think he was searching for that? No, he wasn't. But the pornography industry is paying a lot of money to make sure your children are curious enough to click on those images. And so there's a lot of great conversations that need to be had. I want to tell you that our website is loaded with great resources for you to guide you with these conversations starting at age three. Of course, you're not going to talk to them. It's all age appropriate. But stranger danger and safe touch, like when your kids come home at a young age from a sleepover, um, do you say, were you a good boy or girl? Most do. That's like the worst question you can ask if they've been sexually abused. The right question to ask is, did you do anything that made you feel uncomfortable while you were there? Honestly, we just say don't do sleepovers. <laughs> uh, just don't do them, um, if you can, at all costs. And, and wait as long as you can to let your kids have phones these days. And I know the argument sometimes you just want to give in and get a phone from, because every kid has one, right? We're in America. Um, the longer you can wait to give your kids phones and access to all that, the better. I know it's inevitable. Our 15-year-old has one as well. Um, but there are some really great steps you can take to protect them. Um, and we'll share that with you in a moment. But the other website I wanted to recommend to you is called Protect Young Eyes, if you want to write that down. Um, for parents, if you want to be loaded with great information on how to 
navigate through this life with your children. Protect young eyes is good. And one more, it's called AXIS, A-X-I-S. Um, go to AXIS and sign up for the Culture Translator. It's a newsletter that comes out every week, and it teaches us parents what our kids are growing up in in this digital age, and it helps to keep us um, really uh, educated and wise um, so we know what to ask and when to ask and then how to have these important conversations. So. We could talk a lot longer, but I'll spare you. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do need to have those honest conversations. And it's always been said, it's not if our children find porn, it's when. And so, as Sean was saying, um, not coming down hard on them and pushing them more into that shame, but really t talking through them and finding place for hope and for healing. And in our churches, we need to be having those hard conversations and places for men um, and women, because it's, it's increasing for women to have porn addictions as well, to come and get healing. Um, somehow we've classified pornographies as the worst of sins. Um, and we need to find places for freedom and have honest conversations because it is a gateway drug. One out of every five pornographic images on the internet is the image of a minor. One in five. So that is what is just causing this demand for young children because eventually we have to just increase um, what we're seeing and what we're doing for the same amount of pleasure. So we need to be attacking pornography. And all of this leads to what we have today and that's a normalized sexually charged culture. Normalization, by definition, is the process by which an idea or behavior goes from clearly problematic to an acceptable part of social culture. And can we see that today, that our culture is very sexually charged and that has become a normal thing. So there are new normal messages out there that our youth are receiving today. They are like this. Sexual aggression or exploitation is just a part of life. If you're a woman, you should strive to be seen as a sexual object and expect to be treated as such. And if you're a man, you are to act as if a woman's only worth to you is the sexual encounter she can provide or you can take. These are the continual narratives that our youth are receiving from media, from, from uh, music, from ads, from magazines, and it is changing our culture. And so we have to push back against the pervasiveness of these toxic messages. Um, if you, if you want to learn more, we recommend a documentary called Liberated by Exodus Cry. Really highlights our sexually charged culture and how it is changing the concept in our youth about where their values from and what they need to do to be loved. Um, so it's, it's very eye-opening, not for kids, um, but definitely worth watching. There are ways that we can make a difference in the fight, and we have to step up and engage. And so we based our ministry off of Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. These are biblical mandates for us as believers. We must be acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly. And so we want to just give you a few action steps, um, and then we'll wrap it up here. So to act justly. Um, for us, it's through awareness and education. But um, how do you determine how the Lord would have you act justly? Remember when we talked about at the beginning that he raises up righteous angers and he raises up holy discontents in the hearts of his people. Well, first you've got to tune into those things. So get on your knees this week. Get, on your, get in your journal and start writing out the things that really anger you about our world today and start um, asking the Lord to just encourage you to be active 
action oriented in those areas. What tools are in my hand? Continue to get educated. No matter what your social injustice is, you must break down your own misconceptions, your own prejudices, your own judgments. We're, we're way too quick to think we have all the answers. Um, and we know why people are in situations. And until we start learning, until we start hearing stories, until we start listening, um, we really do a disservice when we plug in. So you need to get educated. If you want to get educated more about human trafficking, these are some awesome documentaries to get you started. They are on our website as well. Um, and so we recommend that you just start learning tons of books um, and other organizations for you to learn. And then to act justly is to do the next thing. I know that sounds super cliche, but we have kind of a mindset that if it's like go big or go home. Right? And so we, we think, we allow Satan to tell us that what we're currently doing isn't enough. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have impact. When I first discovered human trafficking existed, I wanted to become a vigilante. I did. I was just going to make a cape and I was going to go kill a pimp and rescue a girl. That's what I wanted to do. That's where my fire was. And so sometimes we think if we're not starting a safe house or rescuing a girl or doing something huge like that, then why bother? Why bother? So that's what Satan would have us to believe. But God just wants us to be obedient to the next step in front of us. And for you, in your place and in your capacity, in the time that you have right now, maybe it's just buying fair trade coffee and it's always praying, right? We can all do that. But we need to do the next thing and allow the Lord to increase our margin, um, to increase our territory, and do, then be obedient to the next step and the next step. Don't let Satan tell you that what you're currently doing is not enough. Maybe you have one hour a week to mentor a teenage girl after school, to help her with her math homework. Well, maybe you're the only voice in her life that tells her she matters, she's not stupid, she has purpose, she has worth. That's huge. So don't let Satan tell you that it's not huge. And he does that, especially because as human beings, we compare so often to one another. Well, if I had those tools, I could do more. If I had that time, I could do more. Um, we don't compare. We just be obedient to the next step and let God direct it. Amen? Amen. All right. The second step is to love mercy. And to love mercy is to just bring loving acts of kindness. That's that action-oriented love into broken spaces. Um, so we recommend that you volunteer. This is where our kids play a huge role. This is where our families should play a huge role together, that we plug in to nonprofits that need us. And Sean's going to talk to you about some in your area. Yeah, so obviously I'm, I've spoken with a handful of you and you've um, mentioned Sold No More. So they're, they're pretty active. They're doing some good work based on what we read on their website and the people that they're partnering with and who they're suggesting you go to for more credible information. Um, all the ones that are on that website are like, spot on. So they're doing good work. Um, another one that is not faith-based is Southern Arizona Against Slavery. Um, they're also doing a lot of great work and their goal, from what I read and understand, is collaboration. They're trying to get organizations to work together. One of KNI's biggest issues as we travel that we see, and one of the things that make us really sad, is the lack of collaboration across organizations. So many nonprofits um, 
I think their mindset is we're all vying for this nonprofit dollar um, um, and not looking up and seeing that we have a big God and there's this theory called the abundance theory and all of us can be successful. So they tend to close up and hold all their resources close to themselves rather than reach out and try and partner with other local organizations, which we all desperately need to do. And so... Um, that's a good one to get involved with. Southern Arizona, oh, I put that twice. Um, Catalyst for Freedom. No, there was another one called Accord of Hope. C-O-R-D of Hope. Now, this website actually in Tucson was one of the best websites. I know it's not up there. My apologies. Um, it must be on a different slide that I did not send to Matt. My apologies. Um, but Court of Hope, the listing of opportunities for you to get involved right on their website is so cool. I mean, anywhere from way over here going through a background check and mentoring girls that have been trafficked all the way to the beginning where you just uh, read resources and come to one of their awareness nights and you learn more about the organization and everything in between. So another really great organization here locally. And another one is, oh my goodness, is it on here? It's, um, it's a bridal shop. It's what? Free forever. Yes, so it's a bridal shop, and they take in used um, dresses, and a large portion of the proceeds go to fight human trafficking right here in Tucson. So these are the types of organizations that you want to tell people about and support. Case said we had 600 beds in America and we need 13 to 15,000 on any given day. If we're not together, coming together as the church and as groups, small groups, families, and supporting these local organizations, you guys, they cannot survive. They can't. It is so expensive to restore a victim. The process is about two years with a ton of therapy that is crazy expensive, medications obviously, and getting them off the drugs, keeping them off the drugs. It, is, uh, it, is, it takes a lot of prayer, um, a lot of support, but also finances. So we love to be free ambassadors for local organizations. And if you're stirred at all tonight, please reach out to these guys. They desperately need your affection, your love, um, your empathy, and of course your finances if you're willing to to partner with them. Now, we are ambassadors of hope through Shared Hope International. And I want to tell you, if you want to take the next step and actually start talking to people about this, they have a free ambassador program. It's about 15 hours of learning online. Um, you go through these classes, watch these videos, you take a little exam at the end, and they give you access to hundreds of free resources. So um, all the PowerPoint presentations are there for you, and you can start educating your own community if you wanted to step up and be an abolitionist right here in your area. All right? IGM is another big one as well, and then I'll let you talk about having eyes to see the vulnerable. Yes. We need to have eyes to see the vulnerable. It's so important. I mean, traffickers are trained to see the vulnerable. They train their eyes to see the vulnerable so they can move in for the purpose of exploitation. How much more do we as the church need to have eyes to see the vulnerable? Our prayer should be, Lord, give me eyes to see and then give me a heart to act, um, to step into the life of the people around us that need me. And we are creatures of comfort. We're comfort seekers, right? So we surround ourselves with people that look like us, believe like us, think like us, um, instead of actually trying to find the people that need people like us. And so we have to be working to engage in the 
the lives of the vulnerable um, so that we can bring them the hope of Jesus. Finally, just to walk humbly. Um, oh, the slide didn't get changed. Well, that's a good step too. Um, to walk humbly means that we just we depend fully on the Lord Jesus Christ to do all the work for us on our behalf. Um, sometimes we have to remember, we have to keep perspective. We have to remember um, that we are too easy as human beings, but sometimes even as Christians, to create an us and them mindset. We separate ourselves subconsciously. We create a hierarchy. Here's something that Paul said. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ died to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Sometimes we stop at the Christ died to save sinners. We can all accept that. We don't necessarily accept of whom I am the worst. Did Paul really think he was the worst of sinners? Greater than Tiberius, Nero, Ahab, Jab uh, Jezebel? How could Paul say that? The same way we have to be able to say that. Because we don't spend ourselves, our time, comparing ourselves to other sinners. We should be standing under a holy God. And if we stand under a holy God, then we can say, O oh, wretched man am I. Save for the grace of God, that story could be mine. That could be my story. But God has redeemed me, and so I must keep perspective. That is to walk humbly alongside people in their broken spaces. Um, how do you determine to walk humbly? Um, develop a mission statement. What does God want you to focus on in your life this time? We just get inundated with the busyness of life, and then we have no margin to do what God is calling us to do. So if we sit down with the Lord with our journal, our righteous anger, our gifts, our tools, and we say, Lord, where am I supposed to focus this year? Where's my family supposed to focus this year? Then God helps direct our steps, and that allows us to hit our no button. Right? We need to hit the no button more because we hit the yes button because we, we don't have focus in our lives. And so it allows us to be able to say, I can't do that right now because I need to focus on what you're calling me to do. Creating margin in our life. One of the tools of the enemy that keeps us ineffective as believers is busyness. We're just so busy. And so we need to have help the Lord help us create that margin. And I already talked about not discounting the small things that God calls us to do. Keep perspective and be humble. And God is so faithful to provide. He will provide for you the time you can't find right now. He will provide for you the opportunities to speak and to serve. He will provide for you the desire to act. Maybe you don't have it yet, but God will provide. And when you step out in faith, he'll provide the resources for you to accomplish all his good work um, so that we can together bring that biblical justice. A few other important actions before we leave you tonight. Report what you see. This phone number, if you just create a new contact in your phone, even while I'm speaking right now, this is the National Human Trafficking Hotline number. 1-888-3737-888. Yeah, I put in a little memorizable pattern there for you. Um, this number is connected to all your anti-trafficking organizations. This, If you see something, say something. Call the number. Wouldn't you rather call the number and be wrong then not call and be right. So if you have eyes to see something's going down at a truck stop, there's, there's a lot of cars coming in and out of a house down your road. Um, you're at a gas station and things look off, or a hotel, or there's just something shady going on at the business, at the massage parlor. Whatever it is, 
If you see something, say something, because we need to use our voice to speak up and to step into these lives. This is the number you want to call. If you see somebody in immediate danger, um, you know, then call 911. Otherwise, call this trafficking hotline number. They will connect you to your next steps, and it's a great number for you to have on hand. Yeah, so um, connect or protect your home. So internet safety we could do a whole presentation on for hours but I have like 30 seconds so tune in because um, there was a third-party research um, research that was done last year in December and we have done a lot of research on this as well looking at what the best monitoring and filtering systems for all phones and devices in a home are um, and what we have found out is honestly the number one in the country right now is bark and no no filtering or monitoring service out there today does what Bark does. Bark's been around for quite a few years, but they're not just now really starting to get a lot of media attention because everyone's starting to share who Bark is and all these other ones like Custodio and NetNanny, they're wanting to partner with Bark because none of them can do what Bark does. So if, if you have grandchildren, please, um, what's the next holiday? St. Patrick's Day. It's a great opportunity to buy a gift for someone. Like this is the greatest gift you could give to your grandchildren if, uh, if, you're, if you're grandparents. Honestly, every single home in America needs to have bark, number one. And if you're under the age of 13, if you have youth under 13, you want bark and MobiSip. Okay? Now, they do very different things, which is why you need both. I think bark is $9 a month, and MobiSip is like... 80 bucks for the whole year for 10 devices or something like that. So it's, it, it won't break the bank, but it could literally change the course of your child's future because of what it will do to protect, and it will greatly um, educate you as well as parents. So Bark, I get emails occasionally because my son is... Um, texting and talking to people all over the country that we've met. Um, one time there was a girl that was talking about feeling down and not having a lot of friends, um, and she was making some weird mentions, and the algorithm that they use is they take keywords, and when those keywords are used, they then have alerts that are sent to your email, and so I got an email telling me um, that the title was um, bullying, and, when I, and they gave me the whole conversation my son was having with that person. And so I was actually able to read and then have, you can have good conversations with your kids about what's going on in their life. And it may not be them, it may be someone else talking to them that they can, you can teach them on how to get involved in that person's life because they're vulnerable at that moment. Mm -hmm. So great. MobiSip is filtering at its finest. And then for 13 and over, Covenant Eyes and Bark. Covenant Eyes and Bark are the two that you want to have on those phones. Every man in here, whether uh, porn has been an addiction in your past, it's a, an issue now, or it could be in the future, every man in here needs an accountability partner. Every man. Man to man, as iron sharpens iron. I want to challenge every man in here today. If you don't have an accountability partner, talk to one of, these, one of your staff at your church and please come together. And even if it's not an issue, because the enemy is constantly trying to get you to go places, and it's, you're one click away from destroying your family. One click. One click. 40 to 55-year-old white males married with children are the average buyers. That's almost every man in this room. They took one click too far. It happens so fast. So men, we just need to come together and hold each other up. God wants that more than anything because the enemy uses isolation 
to tempt us and take us down roads we shouldn't go. All right? So those are the good ones. And then lastly, um, we would love for you, um, we don't ask much, but we do ask if you're willing to pray for us on a regular basis. Um, we need a lot of prayer. <laughs> um, a lot. Um, pray for our marriage. <laughs> pray for our safety as we travel. Um, pray for our children. And pray for our next steps. Our biggest prayer right now is actually in August. Um, we will be not only homeless, but jobless, too. Um, interesting place to be when you have to fully rely on God. Um, but uh, what, what are our next steps? We're willing to be used however God wants us to be used for his kingdom. And so if you're willing to pray for that, we have prayer cards in the back. Put it in your Bible or on your fridge. We would love your help. Now, following us, if you uh, will go to our... Um, Love to Hope Facebook page. Friends, we post a ton of really great educational information and success stories on social media. So just by following us, Kay mentioned that you could be an abolitionist just by changing your coffee. Say you wanted to do nothing else tonight other than change your coffee brand and pray. And pray. Right, too. Um, I can make it even easier. Just click share. That's all. And you are, you are fighting slavery today because the number of people that have told us, I knew nothing about human trafficking until you posted something online. So whatever social media platform you use, you can take our information and share it with your huge network and you are educating its prevention at its finest. And then connect. Um, this is the one thing we'll do that you act for us. On our behalf, we will tell you where we're going if you sign up for our newsletter or follow us on Facebook. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter online. We'll tell you where we're going. For example, we're heading to Vegas for two weeks. And then we're going to Bakersfield, California for a month. If you have contacts in those area or a two-hour perimeter and you think this information was helpful tonight, um, most of our bookings come from people that have heard us speak and then reach out to their network on our behalf when we're going somewhere that they have friends and family. So we would greatly, greatly appreciate your help. Um, we will be at the table afterwards to answer any questions you have. Um, of course, we have some merchandise. The necklaces are made by our daughter. Um, that's part of her contribution to the ministry. And the bracelets and keychains, they're actually made by families in the Philippines that we have partnered with. And they, they have been saved from sexual exploitation. And then the proceeds we make go back to help pay them fair wages. Awesome. Our t-shirts, because you need to know that they're fair trade. All right. So no slaves if you wear our t-shirt. And they're super soft too. So we'd love for you to have another conversation starter if you'd like to support us that way. But God bless you all. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. And thank this guy right here. Because you have a pastor that wants to tackle the tough stuff. All right. Thanks, brother. Hey, thank you guys. Hold on, just one, one, uh, just real quick. So, um, yeah, this, man, that was really great. And you guys compacted it so, uh, so well for us. So I appreciate you guys being out uh, tonight. Um, I think if the table has anything left on it, when you guys leave, we're blown it. Just buy bracelets and T-shirts. I bought a shirt. Linda bought a shirt, bought me a shirt. Um, so uh, just buy all that stuff, okay? And then... Um, I know the thing just keeps going off. Don't worry. It's just the air conditioning because there's a lot of hot air in here. Okay? So we're going to pray for you. Where's uh, Matt? Can you, you got a baby or something back there? Can you come up here? Is there a kid laying there? Oh, okay. I thought maybe there was a... Okay. Yeah. No. I don't know. I thought you were holding a kid a while ago. All right. And then, uh, Tom, why don't you come on up to one of our deacons? Um... So we're going to pray for two things. We're going to pray for um, uh, 
we're going to pray for uh, Sean and Kay and their family, okay? And I want you to do that. And then also, let's, let's just pray for their next steps, uh, Tom, uh, before you guys go. I just really appreciate you guys being here. Um, it's really good. And um, there's no doubt, um, oh, it's like 18 people have asked me this, so Savaya coffee that we sell at the church is fair trade. Okay, so you, you don't got to worry about that. We Before that, we were buying Camino Island coffee, which is fair trade. All right, so we we have a history of only buying coffee like that. So you can, uh, so that's good. Don't worry about the Vail Christian Church coffee. I promise you it is. I don't know about Coca-Cola or anything like that, but I know the coffee is, is, is fair trade, okay? And then uh, we have such a great team that uh, is uh, Tom and, and Matt, both are part of this, uh, the, the For Life team. So I'm certain there's, there's um, next steps kind of things that we're going to engage with as uh, the For Life team. So you hear from the For Life team about opportunities that we're going to add to our portfolio of all kinds of things. That's what the For Life team is all about, or things like this. And so constantly providing our church ways to um, where we can sort of rally together around specific things and um, uh, multiply our effort and energy as, as, as well as like just all kinds of opportunities through community groups and things. So you'll hear more and more of those things um, from our team, I'm certain, um, about all that kind of stuff. So could you guys just pray really quick for these great people? And then um, make sure you take all your stuff with you, okay? I don't know, on little events like this, we leave stuff all over the place. So just take your stuff when you're done and buy. Make sure the table's empty. Just buy all that stuff, all right? Buy all the stuff and then uh, take your stuff and go home, all right? All right? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this couple and for um, just just the divine way that I know that you worked, that they're here on the stage tonight. Um, I'm just amazed, Lord. Um, God, thanks for their example of faithfulness. Uh, God, thanks for their example of obedience. Um, to sell their house, take their family on the road, um, homeschool their kids while they're on the road, God. Um, no doubt there's sacrifice. No doubt there's tension at times. No doubt there's not enough space. <laughs> um, but uh, God, I'm just in awe of the way you move. Um, sometimes, it, it, I don't know, God, I just I step back and I kind of look and I say, yeah, we are comfortable and uh, I don't know if it's right to pray for pain, um, but uh, I, I feel like um, we need a dose of, of holy discontent, of um, holy, uh, I'm not okay with this, um, of holy, I, I, uh, I'm a follower of Christ and I can do something tonight. I can do something tomorrow. I can take one step. I can make a decision. I can um, put software on my computer. I can buy Something different, God. I can talk to my kids um, about what's going on. Um, God, I pray for your hand on this family as they finish up their commitment of what they set out to do. God, I pray for small stuff like vehicles to keep running. Um, God, I, I, I pray that your hand would just be in the middle of um, their family and in their marriage, that you would strengthen that, that you would um, draw them uh, together um, uh, through this, uh, just this experience and this journey they've been on, God, and they'd, they'd look back with wonderful and um, uh, fond memories, uh, and, and to know, Lord, that um, you use them to make a big dent, God, um, and I pray that you'd uh, use us to make a big dent, too. God, I pray over them moving forward just for um, uh, direction, 
Um, God, show them uh, what you want at the end of this uh, journey. It seems like uh, it's a really neat spot to be in in some ways because the slate's clean mm-hmm. and unwritten. Uh, but God, you know and we trust you and you're faithful. And I, I pray that you would start to um, just show the crack of that door opening and let them start exploring it and figuring out what is, uh, what's next, God. Father, we just thank you for this evening and, and uh, just for the words that we heard tonight, Lord, just um, a lot of new information, a lot of new uh, stuff we probably didn't realize, Lord, but uh, uh, there's just a lot of evil that's going on around us and and just a lot of things that, um, that we need to open our eyes to. And, and uh, like they said, we just, we want to be in our comfortable little world and, and stay inside our house, Father, but... You called us to be out in the field and, and fighting the fight, Lord. Father, I just uh, I pray for their ministry and, and uh, just uh, where you're going to take it from here, Lord. And, and we know that uh, August is a deadline, but it's also a, a, a jumping off spot for a new door and a, a new hallway, Lord. And Father, I just uh, pray that you would bless that and just uh, continue to use them to, to open people's eyes to this and, and just to continue to... Uh, be a part of this ministry, Lord. And Father, just pray that you'd uh, just stir our hearts and, and not let us be content to sit and listen, Lord, but to, uh, to get involved and to, to do those next steps, Father. Just uh, stir all our hearts and, and just don't let us be satisfied with, with being comfortable, Lord, but to uh, be ready to step out, Lord. We just pray this, uh, pray that you'd bless this church and just bless our work in the community and just help us as as we try to reach out to those around us, Lord, just uh, open doors for us. We just pray this in your name. Amen.